we want to thank this praise team. Can we just do that this morning? So much. Thank you, brother. What a beautiful time of worship. And, uh, you know, I love the worship that we have together. Um, the setting of the table. I don't, I'm one of those pastors like many of us here today that, uh, you know, I feel like everybody's over there. Guys, I want you all to get up and come and sit here. Everybody there, get up and come sit here in the middle. I mean, it's like this is a right-wing conspiracy going on in here. By the way, this has nothing to do with the price of eggs, and I have some of my dear brothers here. But pastors do that. Do what I've just done. Did you hear that? I promise you, you will find yourself in many occasions. This is a pastor's gathering. There, there are few of us here representing many. That's what we're doing today. You just think about it. The value of what, what God is doing through a conference like this. You know, and someone might come in here and say, boy, there's just a relatively small group. But the purpose of a gathering like this is for people like you and me to sharpen and to be motivated and ask God to speak to us. So I just did, I performed an act of aggression in the average Southern Baptist church. Right? And I want you to all look at my face. So what? And, and I say that very lovingly. I could not give two hoots if there's somebody there who's upset because I asked them to move. To borrow that good old phrase, Rudy Toot Toot Toot. <laughs> but what you'll find, surprisingly, is that by far, the overwhelming majority of people will never... Look how much better that is. Okay, I'm starting to preach here, and most of you are over there. Now, I want you to think of the dynamic of preaching. So I've got a little group here. In a lot of our churches, in some of the meetings we do, you'll have someone over there and someone over there and someone up there and someone here. And I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it does happen. Audience analysis in preaching is very important. The dynamic is very important. It's very important. I, I think already I can feel a greater sense of, of oneness. And we haven't said anything about the Lord. All we've done is we've led in worship. But in a way, I'm sorry we didn't do this when the praise team was up here. It's tough to lead worship when you've got a group there and a group there. And it's just fundamental to what we're doing. And actually, the whole purpose, one of the things you and I need to strive to do in our churches is to bring our people together. Now, I'm not talking about like this is just symbolical of that unity in the congregation oneness very very critical that's why there's so much about it in the new testament 
And it's not peace at all costs. But I can say to you that in my 22 years in my church right now, when I went to Spartanburg, a great church, flagship church, but the church was in serious trouble, serious trouble. It was like a ship leaning over on its side. And it's jolly hard work. I'm telling you, the first two years that I was there, it was like a war zone, a war zone. And a lot of the issues had to do with disunity, with factions. And, and one might say, well, you know, Don, that's just got nothing to do with the price of eggs. But they're people who own pews and seats and, and where they sit and how they do it. And they're not going to do this. I mean, the churches are full of that kind of stuff. And it's not an announcement. It's not an announcement. But there are some very little gentle things that can take place. They, they may be very small and sometimes very insignificant, but they have a great benefit. And when you are preaching, that group, it doesn't matter. It's not about the numbers. That's irrelevant. I mean, you just think how incredible this is to, today that we can be here like this together. And it's a very special thing. And I want you to be blessed and encouraged. And we do of each other. You know, i got to head back right after this message and fly all the way back to South Carolina. And like you, tomorrow, man, we just go non-stop, non-stop preaching and teaching and loving and shaking hands and greeting and listening and and. Uh, and the whole gamut of, of ministry experience. And everything will come at you tomorrow, if not today. Bullets will fly at you, hand grenades, shrapnel. You'll be stroked and condemned with the same hand. People will walk up to you as you go out to tell you something, just as you go to preach the word of God. Some man is going to feel led of the Lord to let you know that he's not happy about the parking lot. You know? Right? This is, this, can we just be real with each other, folks? This is human nature. It's human nature. It, it's not, nobody's, you know, it, it's not necessarily like a criminal thing. It's just... This war that goes on. In fact, it's going to tie very much into this message today. Even though I hadn't planned to get onto this right now. But I want to thank you so much for letting me be here. And uh, man, I had just a most wonderful evening last night with a group of people that just mean the world to me. And, and, and I just... And folks, these are lay people who are in our churches, and some of them are here this morning. God has blessed us with such incredible people, prayer warriors, prayer warriors, and folks who just have such a longing for the word, and and people who, quote-unquote, put their money and their giftedness in their mouth where their heart is. They... They're engaged. Focus on that. Always look at the half full bottle, not the half empty bottle. 
And God, by his grace, will fill that up. Some of you have asked me a couple of questions, and I, I know you're going to have a question on time in just a moment. But maybe I'll just save all of that to the end. That'll, that'll be good. I'll pass a few comments. Now, I, I want you to bow your heads with me for just a second. And Father, we want to bow in your presence this morning. Because we acknowledge that you alone are God. And even at this early hour, how desperately we need to see you. How much we need to hear from you. And we come, Lord Jesus, confessing our sin before you. As spiritual leaders. Lord we're asking that you would so. Visit upon us in your grace and your mighty risen power. That every time that we meet with you would be an hallowed hour. And so for these few moments in this beautiful sanctuary here in Pineville, Louisiana. With this beloved pastor and his wife and this great team, we gather. We gather, Lord, we have been led in praise and worship today. The table has been set and we are fused together at one because that is what you call upon us to do. And that is to worship you. And we now worship you. Through the reading of your word, through listening to your word, to sharing. Lord, I am just simply a voice through which you would speak at this moment. And Lord, you would translate that into the manifold voices here to many people Speaking only your word, for your word is true and reliable and complete and trustworthy. We need to hear from you, Father. And we thank you. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. This passage in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, remembering the three descriptions of Hebrews concerning the personal presentation of the Lord Jesus and the unfolding of God's revelation and the practical exhortation. This wonderful mix that is presented to us here, this completeness of all that God is in his word. And when we get to chapter 2 and verse 14... I find that the Lord presents to me 
something that is so deep that I doubt seriously whether I'm capable of trying to explain it to anybody, least of all myself. So what I'd like us to do is take a journey today. Because I'm about to speak to you about the ultimate solution. Let me read this to you in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as children. All right, let's just stop there. I can't go any further. Children. Again, I want to submit to you that God is going to speak to you and me. There's a distinctive here. God is going to speak to those that have been bought with a price. And, and the bottom line is what he's going to say here. Is because you and I have now been adopted as his children. We owe him. Just by the way. You know when we talk about the Lord. It's really not as much about what we can do for God. As about what God has done for us. But. Certainly we ought never to fall foul of understanding that there is a reciprocal arrangement, which really is more than an arrangement, it's an expectation. You and I may not conduct ourselves in a manner that we deem necessary. And what he's about to show us here is the reason Why we owe him. I remember back in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 at least, and I'm just isolating one passage that we just looked at in the limits of a conference like this. Remember that, that God's word said to us, posed that very, I think very confrontational statement to me. Don, you had better pay attention. You had better pay attention to the things that you are hearing from God, about God, in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. You had better pay attention. Because if you don't pay attention... It's going to slip through your fingers. You're going to become a drifter. You're going to become useless. And our world today is filled with useless Christians. Useless. Some of you sitting here today, if you'll beg my pardon, you're just useless, brother. 
And if your mama didn't tell you, I'm telling you. And I'm telling you that because God's telling me that. And the day I start believing that I've got too big for my boots because I'm a pastor or because I'm this or because I'm that, God is telling me, you better listen to what I'm saying. Well, now let's take this into where we are. For as much on the basis of these aforesaid facts about you and about what you need to do, he says, for as much then as the children, as you are partakers of flesh and blood. Now, I want you to just think about this. God, God, in a sense, is looking at me and he's saying, so now, having told you who you are, I don't, I want to remind you of something that you, my friend, are still a sinner saved only by the grace of God. That's why we cannot strut as Christians. Be very careful about the manner with which you present your own righteousness. And for whatever you do, stop sitting around in little holy huddles reminding each other how wonderful you are. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, now we're talking about Jesus, likewise took part of the same. Now that's a lovely word that we're going to come up here. This word that Jesus, watch this, that Jesus, wait a minute, God, Jesus actually shared, he took hold of the very thing that I am. (laughs) You mean he came down to my level? Here's the explanation in the second part that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. And just in case any of you are battling here, he's not talking about your least favorite politician or about this person, about that person. That is the devil. It's just a qualification there. It's just putting it right where it needs to be. And deliver them through Or from, set them free from the fear of death, were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. By the way, that word there, the better word described there, this bondage, is the word slavery. One of the most heinous criminal acts against humanity is embodied in the whole issue of slavery. Wow. God's telling us that without him, that's exactly who we were. A bunch of slaves. Watch me, gentlemen. That's not nice. Nice. 
For verily, in that little word truth, he took not on him the nature of angels. By the way, this is juxtapositioning once again the supremacy of Christ in all and through all. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. He takes us back to the covenant That God made with the children of Israel and with the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it was proper. It was proper. And by the way, that word proper there is qualified by the one to whom the only allegiance was given. It was proper in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. It was not proper because the church council met. Jesus did what he did not based upon some kind of reformation or some kind of schism or some kind of council or some kind of pontificate or some kind of papal bull or some kind of southern baptist meeting or some kind of deacons meeting jesus did what he did because it was proper in order to satisfy the requirements of a holy and a righteous god and without that it wouldn't work Wherefore, in all things, it was proper for him to be made like, and I want to talk about that just a minute, because I need 25 hours to get through this, to be made like, that's our word propitiation, that's a jawbreaker, but at any rate, made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest. There's the invoking of two of the essential traits of a righteous God, be made a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. There it is, going back again to God, looking at God, talking from God, emanating from the throne of God to make reconciliation. I love that word there. That's bringing together two unlikely parties, broken in every way. That little word to reconcile, For the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered and was tempted in all points just like we are, yet without sin, he now is able through that, through the enfleshment, through his taking hold of, through his sharing in completely 100% with the flesh and blood of man, now he is able... To do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. He is able to enable us to overcome temptation. Some a year or so ago I got onto an airplane like I'm prone to do from time to time. And and we were flying somewhere and I sat next to what I very quickly discovered was a Muslim man. And he was a very distinguished gentleman. This was a very distinguished man. 
And he was from another country. He wasn't from America. And I sat next to him. And I be, confess to you, I had been speaking somewhere. Stuart, you know those times when you get on a plane and you say, if anybody talks to me, I'm going to wring their neck and throw them overboard. You know, you want to just have a little nap, mind your own business, you know. Tired, I'm wherever it was I was going, but uh, I wasn't in a bad mood. I was just worn out. I was just tired. been doing a lot of talking. I said, you know, I'm not going to, would blow me down this fellow from this other country starts talking to me. It's the last thing I want to happen. I wanted to say to him, listen, man, go and have a conversation with somebody else, right? You know, I didn't he, started, he was a very fine man. In fact, he was a physician. He was a, a medical doctor, he told me, and we talked about him. He came from India, Bangladesh, somewhere in the in that region there and uh, I'd grown up with a lot of Indian people we had a lot of that I could speak to him about and, and we just we struck up a little bit of a conversation and and I said to him um, I baited him I'm sorry I'm just going to be honest with you I, I, I asked that general statement I said do you believe in God oh men do I'm telling you I do man he said I'm, I believe in all of them We started talking, and he was a Muslim. I said, why, why are you Muslim? He started telling me. I said, well, tell me about it. Well, we started making our approach into the airport we were going to land, and the Lord suddenly led me to say something to him. And I had been sharing a little bit of my Christian faith and he'd been talking to me about his Muslim religion and about Muhammad and Islam and all this kind of stuff and finally I said to him I tell you what are you ready to strike a deal with me he said man I'm, I'm liking deals I'm telling you do deal with me right now I said you're on man I said we're going to do a serious deal right here I said let's just imagine that as we come into this airport, that in three minutes, this plane is going to crash and both you and I are going to get killed. He said, man, I'm wanting to thank you for that thought. <laughs> I said, well, I want you to just imagine for a minute that this plane is going to crash in three minutes. And I said, you're a Muslim and I'm a Christian. And I said, as a Muslim, you've got only three minutes before I die. What would you consider you would need to tell me with only three minutes left to live? He looked at me, looked again. He said, you serious? I said, yeah, starting now. It's two and a half minutes, actually. <laughs> he looked at me. He thought, man, that is it. He said, I've never been thinking about that. I said, well, think quickly because the plane's going to crash. And I said, you're a Muslim. I said, I need to know something. What do I need to know? Tell me something. You're a Muslim. And he said these exact words. He said, well, he said, I'm telling you, man, but I think I'm looking at you and I say, good luck. Good luck. I said, that's all you got for me? 
He said, well, you're a Christian. What would you say to me? Oh, uh, I said, man, I'm only got three minutes, man. I can't take all that. I'm a preaching boy. And I looked at him and I said to him, my friend, God loves you. Let me tell you who God is. He's not any God. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. He loves you so much that He sent His only Son to die on a cross for you. Gave His life. He took a hold of your life so that you can have life. And when He died on the cross, He took your sin on Himself. And in two minutes... I shared the gospel with him. And I said to him, my friend, the bottom line is it's not what you hear. Would you be willing to place your faith and trust in this Jesus? Well, I wish I could tell you that he did, but he didn't. He just told me it was very interesting. What are your people hearing from you tomorrow when you preach? Now I want to show you something very quickly and please beg my pardon because this is huge guys. This is a semester worth of study. There are two pictures that God gives us here in chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 18. There's a picture of ourselves and there's a picture of Jesus. In other words, what God is showing us here is the ultimate solution. This is the answer. This is the answer to the world's need. This is the answer to the problems we have. This is, this is the answer ultimately to the sin of mankind. This addresses everything that we need to know about ourselves in relation to a holy and righteous God. So let me just give this to you very quickly. Where is the picture of ourselves here? This is the picture. It's a six-fold picture of the heart of man. Number one, we are trapped. Verse 14. Here the Lord through His Spirit and by His Word reminds us that we are children of flesh and blood. He speaks to the two essential ingredients of the sinfulness of man. The enfleshment of man. This paltry covering that we have that is rotting and decaying because of the sin of Adam. And he speaks about blood which is life which is going to soon be passed. 
I, I want to make an announcement to you today. You are going to be dead one of these days. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to let you know that. One of our brothers that are here asked me yesterday if I would pray for a lady in his church. And we had a beautiful time of prayer together right here in the sanctuary. And he told me that this lady told me a little bit about her. And he said to me, please, can I tell her that you prayed for her too? I said, certainly. And he told me what a precious lady she is. And I went back into the pastor's study and Sam will tell you, my phone rang. I picked up the phone and Evelyn was on the other side of the line. One of the finest ladies you have ever met. And she was weeping and she said, pastor, I had to call you. I've just walked out, got the shock of my life, and the doctor just told me that I'm riddled with cancer. She said, I was there on Sunday morning. I know, because I spoke to her. Very faithful lady. Said, I was there. She said, I've never had a thing wrong with me. Never had a problem. And all of a sudden, now, five days later, I'm told that I've got cancer in every part of my body. I, I don't want to overextend, but I'm just going to tell you something. God's trying to tell us something here. He's trying to remind us. He's giving us a picture of ourselves. We're trapped. We're trapped in the sinful nature of ours, this flesh. Number two, we are controlled. Second part of verse 14 talks about the devil. And he doesn't just talk about the devil. He talks about the fact that this one, the devil, is the one who is in charge of flesh and blood. And that he's got our number. We are under the control of Satan. It's giving us a picture of man without Christ. People from time to time talk about the United Nations. You know, I, I remember being up at the United Nations with Dr. Billy Graham some years ago in the General Assembly. And, and, and we were there and, and Dr. Graham and I had been at some meeting and we went in the General Assembly and he spoke and the nations of the world were there. And I was sitting uh, in my seat somewhat back while he was speaking and when he had finished speaking all these people from all over the world just hundreds of them just all stood up and they just all surged toward the platform and they all went up there because they wanted to be close and I thought about the United Nations and I thought about this melting pot and I thought about all the junk that comes out of there. And I thought about the fact that the United States always bailing them out. And I always wonder why we always have to bail out the United States, United Nations. And then I keep reminding myself, we shouldn't be shocked at the behavior of a world without Christ. When someone comes up to you in your life and your ministry and behaves like that and they don't know Jesus, he's about to show us something here about those who do. He's about to tell us that, listen, if you do know Christ, 
And you don't seem to understand what Christ does in you through and by his Holy Spirit. And you don't take hold of him. No wonder all you are is going to be a useless drifter. We're not only trapped in control, but we are fearful. Look at verse 15. Deliver them from their bondage. Deliver them from their fear. We are fearful. We're a masquerading people. We have an outer facade and an inner reality. We are misguided, verse 16. When he invokes the covenant of God through Abraham, when he takes us back to his promise to his children, He presents it in the context of the misguided affection of the world for anything and anyone other than Christ. I remember when I pastored in South Louisiana for six years. Loved every minute of it down in those bayous. I can't remember the place Some of you may remember it, but I remember somewhere up near Tickfall, Louisiana, somewhere in that area, all of a sudden somebody thought they saw an apparition of Mary or Jesus in a field somewhere. And for the next two years, hundreds upon thousands of people would go and gather and sit in the field over this apparition, this something, this out there looking for something other. And what he's saying here, he's talking about the fact that human nature is so misguided. In Louisiana, of all places, we understand that so much. That bumper sticker that one sees from time to time, if you can't find Jesus, look for his mother. That's misguided. We're trapped and controlled and fearful and misguided. And number five, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. We have no hope of reconciliation. We have no hope of meaning. We have no hope of of purpose. Without Christ. And number six, we are weak. Verse 18 is about temptation. And as the Lord speaks to our heart and he reveals to us just how weak we are. You know, how many times do we not hear the Lord speak and know what it is that God requires of us. And yet we go back and we go and do it all over again. I met with a man a couple of days ago in my church, and a Christian man, and, and, and he said almost those exact words to me last uh, Friday night. I spoke at the Billy Graham Training Center of the Cove, and Sam was kind enough. I went up to see Dr. Billy Graham, and, and then spoke at the Cove, and then Sam and I got in the motor car and drove from the cove down to Charlotte, and boy, you talk about some rain, man. Almost put Louisiana in the shade. 
and uh, down to Charlotte and got up early the next morning. I spoke at a big men's event at the Billy Graham Training Center at the library. It was just wonderful, man. The power of God and had the place was packed out and and 30 of those men came to know Christ and gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we got in the motor car about 9.30 or 10 o'clock Saturday morning. And the reason I tell you all that is we'd been very busy. Very busy. Charged all the way back up the interstates about an hour's drive from Charlotte to my house in the upstate of South Carolina. And got up there to our home and as we were driving and Sam looked at me and he said, well, pastor, you know, what does the rest of the day look like? And we were comparing notes. I said, basically something like Sam, you'll never guess, man. I've got no meetings this afternoon, man. I'm going to watch South Carolina beat up on, on Georgia and I'm, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just going to enjoy and kick back and I'm going to put a whole half side of a cow on the barbie and have some good food and then, you know, get ready for tomorrow. And my phone rang. Right there in the motor car. There he is, our Sam. In fact, someone had been trying to call me about 12 times. I answered the phone. And it was a member of our church and, and, and a, a wonderful person and, and, and a young deacon and, and all the other good things and a fairly prominent person in the community and, and just with a very big issue. And I looked at Sam and I said, Sam, there goes my day. I got home and dropped my stuff off, and five hours later, I came home. How you doing, pastor? And I went and sat in that home with that wife and that husband. You know what we were dealing with? Temptation. We're weak. So let's look at the solution. This is the meat of the message. Let's look at the solution. Jesus is the ultimate solution. Why? Number one, because he took hold of our humanity. Verse 14. Incidentally, that little word that we read there partaker that 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 little word took part is is literally it's the english word better there is that he shared in and by the way it's a it's a very important point to make that he took hold or that he shared in because what it means there is that jesus the christ the spotless Lamb of God, the one who is heir of all things, the one who has been given the full and complete authority of God, took hold of something not related to his own. And what it means, if, if, if you beg my pardon, brother, I don't want to pick on you. It's like, it, it, do this, by the way, with your people. Give them word pictures. It's like, here's God and there's man... And there I am, there you are, there's the man, woman, there's the flesh and blood, and, and, and human, this is God, divine, and God sends Jesus, and Jesus comes all the way down to where I am, 
And, and he, he takes hold. He takes hold of us. And here's what he does is he pulls us to safety. He pulls us to safety. He takes hold of us. He participates in us. Go and sit down. Thank you, brother. You know, that's what he doesn't do, by the way. He doesn't pull us up here and then tell us to go and sit down. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? So here we are. There I am. I'm talking to me. You know, in our flesh and blood. And the Bible says, I want you to really get a hold of this. This is the ultimate solution. Only Jesus can take hold of us, can share in our humanity. And what he does in that is he pulls, uh, he pulls us up into safety. He rescues us. Number two, because he destroyed the devil. He's the ultimate solution because he destroyed the devil. Love that verse 14 there. That through death he might destroy him. Listen, this is putting the smack down here, folks. This is not kind of sort of stuff. He destroyed him. He obliterated him. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate solution because he gives complete victory. Right? And what he did through what he did was that he rendered Satan powerless against all who are saved. Greater is he that is in me than that, than he that's in the world. It's the ultimate solution. So what, what are you going to do without Jesus? I've already got two things. You've got nobody to pull you to safety. And you've got no defense against Satan. But number three, Jesus is the ultimate solution because he sets free all who are slaves. Verse 15, deliver them. That little word, set free. Who? Those who through fear and death were all their lifetime were subject to bondage. What he's telling us here is that Jesus is the ultimate solution because Through the authority vested in him by God the Father, Jesus Christ is the only one who has the full capability and capacity to liberate you and me. Take the shackles off. It's powerful. Last year I was preaching in China and there were thousands of people. And I had just met at government house in Beijing with a person right under the president and this delegation. And we'd had high level talks and all this kind of stuff. And 
And I went into this church, this facility, and there were just people standing clogged outside. They were there four hours before I got up to speak. This is in communist China. And the pastor of this church had been in prison for 21 years in re-education. And he wanted to spend some time with me. And, and I walked in and this man stood there and, and we had an interpreter and, and we, we looked at each other and, and we sat down and he began to just tell me stuff. He just began to pour his heart out. And I had the United States Charge d'Affaires sitting right there, a wonderful African-American gentleman from Ohio, just a fine Christian man. from the embassy and various other State Department officials. And this, this Chinese man, through an interpreter, began to tell me. And, and I looked at him and I said to him, Reverend, I said, uh, when, when I go out here now, is, is it all right for me to, to preach? And he looked at me and he took me by the hand and he basically said to me, you get up there and tell them about Jesus. So I walked out and through an interpreter, I preached, man. I mean, down the line. And I got to the end and they told me, they told me the only thing that you cannot do is to ask people to come out because of the secret police and all the rest of it. But you can ask them, you know, would, would they look at you or would they, you know, get some kind of response from them. And it took our breath away because when I got to the end, I said, is there, would, would there be anybody here today who would take a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you, would you, would you just maybe just with, I know that you're bowing in prayer and there were just hundreds, thousands of people and would would you and all of a sudden somebody stood up and then another person stood up and it was just this massive wave of people just standing up in dead silence he sets free all who are slaves number 4 because he stands on his word and i wish i had time to get into that verse 16 there there's a lot to be said about that covenant statement. And there's even more to be said about what God has to say about Israel and how we relate and how God's word has never changed. And God doesn't have an alternative plan of salvation. And how that all works out, to me, not necessarily saying, it's very clear in Scripture what's going to happen. And it's all centered in the person and work of Jesus. Nothing changes. Number five, and I know I've got to wrap this up, because he satisfies God's requirements. Look at verse 17. Jesus is the only solution because he satisfies God's requirements. That little word, made like, is the word from which we get our word propitiation. 
By the way, you'll find it right there in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Perhaps the best explanation of this verse. When God hath, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Woo-hoo! I'm just telling you this. This stuff will preach, man. And that little word, the fact that, that, that he has satisfied God's requirements. Jesus is the only solution because he's the only one who could satisfy the requirements of the only God. Not of the God's. This is not political compromise. This is not anything and everybody goes. This is not depending on how you feel. This is not bound into the rights that we have as Americans. This is about Jesus. It means that Christ's work of propitiation is related to his high priestly ministry. And it means that by partaking of a human nature, Jesus did two things. He demonstrated his faithfulness to God. And he demonstrated his mercy toward mankind. There's the unpacking of the propitiation of Christ. On the one hand, he demonstrated his faithfulness to God. How did he demonstrate his faithfulness to God according to this text? By satisfying God's requirements for sin in order to obtain a full pardon through forgiveness. How did he extend his mercy toward you and me? These who are of flesh and blood. Because he was showing his loving kindness toward us. That's what graciousness and loving kindness is all about. So why is Jesus the only solution? Because he's the only one who could take hold of our humanity and he's the only one who could destroy Satan and he's the only one who could stand on his word and he's the only one who could satisfy God's requirements. And number six, he is the only one who could help us to overcome our own weakness. He's the only one. For in that he himself hath suffered... Being tempted, that through this, the one who was tempted just as we are yet without sin, through this, he is able to help all of those of us, we the children of flesh and blood. He's able to help us to overcome and gain the victory too. I present to you Jesus. He's the only solution. Would you join me as we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the glorious resurrection of our Savior. Thank you for the hope, the joy that we have in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right, just a couple of things uh, <clears throat> before we have to close. I've been asked to comment on a couple of things, and I thought maybe there might be one or two questions here today, perhaps. Um, Dr. Holloway asked me just to mention Dr. Graham. I, I continue to have, as I have for a number of decades now, um, I have a wonderful privilege of uh, visiting with Dr. Graham just about every week, um, sometimes more than that. And uh, we, we have developed a very close, very close friendship. And uh, I'm his pastor. He made that official about seven or eight years ago, although it was there long, long before that. But for Dr. Graham, uh, in his position in life, all of these things, I mean, it just amazed us when he officially joined our church. It was headlines in newspapers everywhere in the world. It's hard to understand that kind of thing, but such is life, you know. Dr. Graham is very, very frail. And uh, there have been a number of times this year that, that we really thought that the Lord was coming to get him. Um, down to times with me sitting there, holding his hand with him, basically telling me that. I mean, <clears throat> um, but the Lord, he's rallied again. And uh, this past week again, as I sat with him and talked with him, spoke to him about coming here, he wants to know everything. So, and uh, what I'm preaching on and how's it going and who's there and what's happening and how the pastor's doing. He has a profound love for ministers of the gospel and for people who serve the Lord. I mean, just profound. He is absolutely the most humble, precious man I've ever met in my life. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been with him as... as uh, just a who's who of people you and I would consider to be what we would call extremely famous, famous people, man. I mean, it's just like I sit there sometimes and pat myself on the cheek and it's like, you know, I can't believe this guy's talking to me, you know, some little dipstick from Africa like me. And, uh, and yet Mr. Graham... Uh, is exactly the same, and he always goes to the cross, always. He shares the love of Christ with everybody. Prime ministers, presidents, queens, and kings, it doesn't matter. Famous athletes, and uh, God gave to this dear man a, a platform for God's grace that is just unbelievable. And uh, so we have many of the world's leaders calling to check on him and um, and on down the road. I mean, plus. But he is, we've got him very guarded now. He's at home in Montreat. And uh, we are taking very good care of him. We pray together and talk together. I make him laugh a lot, which is very good soul food, you know. So I can really crack him up and I'm always teasing him about, you know, stealing my yogurt. And, and uh, the other day I'm sitting there and, and uh, 
he was e- he was eating a banana and and I said we were talking and finally I just got up and went in the pantry which I've done so many times found one got it and went back and sat next to him and he's very hard of hearing I sit right up there with him all the time and uh, he just looked down and he looked at me and looked at me and finally he just reached over with that precious hand of his just took my banana right out of my hand just t- I mean he just took the thing he just took my banana he just took it and he just ate the whole thing, every bit of it, just ate it. I finally looked at him and I said to him, Mr. Graham, I said, excuse me. I said, you just, you just took my banana. You just, you just took my banana and you just ate my banana. And he looked over at me and he went, Banana. so we got so much mileage i said to him i said mr graham how many more times have we got to meet like this and you still talk like you do you know so we you know it's things like that and uh he um he he's crying out to the lord for our nation his heart i tell you is in revival um he, he loves the local church, man. He has such an honor in his heart for, for, uh, for people who proclaim God's truth. And um, he, he is so humble and so gracious. And you pray for Mr. Graham. You know, we lost dear George Beverly Shea at the age of 103. And uh, my some of my cherished memories over the years is sitting there with George Beverly Shea and Dr. Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows and just listening to these guys. I mean, it's just, it's like you're sitting there in some kind of warp zone, you know. I mean, it's mind-boggling, guys. It's mind-boggling. And uh, pray for Mr. Cliff. He's 90 and uh, his eyes have gone. He, he cannot see any. He'll quote scripture, only Sam. I mean, left and right Cliff Barrow is one of the most precious men you'll ever meet anywhere. And uh, so thank you for your prayers for, for Mr. Graham. And uh, I'll, I'll see him again on Monday, actually. I'm going to see him on Monday. Of course, it, I go up there um, any time. And, and uh, you know, his life, the security and all the issues related to Dr. Billy Graham are, are significant. And the Lord has taught me so much through his servant. I'm telling you, God has taught me so much. I feel, I feel so, uh, many times I'll, I'll leave and go down the hill having spent a couple of three or four or five hours with him and and I, I really feel so challenged in my own heart. He's taught me a lot about graciousness and, and, re, and prayer, you know. I'm just telling you guys about the things that are really important. And then I'm still so far away. And, and by the way, there's a bunch of preachers here. You guys want to have a humdinger put on you? It's like, you know, every time I go up there and he says, Man, that was a good message you preached because he'll listen to me on television. 
And he'll say, now let's talk about point number two. And I'll say, oh, here we go, man, you know. I mean, this is, <laughs> I mean, keeps you on the straight and narrow, you know. Pray for us. Um, we, you know, we have this worldwide ministry, the encouraging word that's all over the country and around the world. Um, I have opportunities occasionally. I'll be preaching across Korea end of November. I'll be in Europe next month, then Korea at the end of November, preaching there for 15 days, all across there, preaching in the DMZ, meeting with our members of the 8th Army. There are other things related to that trip in Korea, if you remember that in prayer. I'm looking forward, I'm preaching at the world's largest church, 850,000 members, just mind-boggling. I mean, it's mind-boggling. They start church on Friday. Their auditorium seats 25,000, and they go all the way, nonstop, through Sunday night. And uh, that's one of the places that I'm preaching. And uh, we're praying. I'm going there to learn and soak up. Some of you have had some of you brothers that have been with me to Israel. Many of you do go. Go with your pastor if you can. I'm going again in, in February. I go every year. This will be my 25th time to go to Israel. Um, so we go and have the most unbelievable fun you can shake a stick at. And uh, I'd love for you to come with me. Go with your own pastor. Some of you pastors need to go. We have a lot of pastors go with us. And going to Israel, man, makes the scriptures come alive, guys. And all of you that have been, you'll know. And uh, we go all over the place and just really have a lot of fun, great fellowship. If you know me, which a lot of you do, I don't drag my big lip around the place. And by the way, take that into your churches. Some of you guys are far too serious, man. You need to get a life. <laughs> and some of you are getting just too important, man. And just get out of your little soapbox. And stop feeling like everybody's against you all the time. Chill out. You know, relax in your ministry, guys. Some of us are going to be shocked. We're going to work so hard and think it's going to fall apart and come back years later and it's going to be a whole lot better than when we left it. You know, you've got to trust the Lord to do His work. You take, take, not, this is not a strut confidence. It's a humble confidence. Let's go to the ultimate solution. Let's trust the Lord to do his work. And, and I know that God will give you great blessing and, and great joy in that. And I pray for you. We pray for each other. We're in a rapidly changing world. We're facing a lot of things. The church is changing. Uh, we're seeing models of churches spring up that, that uh, are completely different. Uh, to what many have grown up in and many churches that we serve. Change is very difficult in churches. And there are many barriers to change. And, and a church that doesn't own the future will never take hold of the future. And so you've got to be a vision caster. And you've got to ask God to give you the grace to do that. You've got to do it in the right way. It's not, you've got to be intentional in your approach to pastoring your church. 
with a lot of love and a lot of grace. But at the same time, you've got to be willing, you've got to stand, you've got to be willing to take some bullets. There's no ministry in which the shepherd will not take bullets. You've got to be prepared to bullets. It, it comes with the turf. And those things hurt. Be guarded with your families. If I can say to the brothers here today, be guarded with your families. Many times our wives, for example, will hurt greatly. They don't have the microphone. They feel the effects, but there's nothing they can do about it. Watch out for your children, guys. We all suffer with that. Check yourself. Be careful with how much time you're spending with your children, man. Don't become so busy for everybody else that you forget the main things in life because those kids will grow up before you can shake a stick at, man. And they're they gone, man. They're gone. You've got a very little narrow window of time. And we've got big issues. We, we're looking for answers. How do we deal with the changes in society? How do, we, how do we take hold of God's word and impress that upon our people? How do we respond to the rapidly declining moral morass that we're facing out here in our world? What about the court of public opinion? You know, how does that affect us? And what is our call as ministers of the gospel as we stand upon the word of God? I, I'm torn till the cows come home here. Is there a question maybe or something? You've been absolutely dying to ask this or can be anything uh, from me or of me. And if I don't know about it, I'll just get Sam to answer it, you know. <laughs> Any particular question here today? Well, we've got it. What I would first of all say to you is take the fire out of what you're doing, but never stop striking the match. What happens? I'm speaking strictly to you and me as pastors. So if, if you want to look at me, so just look at Don for a minute. Okay? I want to get out the fire. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these people who, who wants to get alongside these terrorists and, and all this stuff going on and coddle-foddle with them and beat around the bush and, and all that sort of stuff. I, I believe that, that, that you, you deal very directly and unapologetically with them. And the same would be in regards to sin in the heart of man what I have to do is I have to strike the match 
The striking of the match means that I have got to share God's truth in our searching world. Because God's word spreads the fire. That spark is the spark of God's truth. I've got to put God's truth out there. I've got to share that truth, but I've got to share that truth unapologetically in love. And I've got to allow God by his spirit to spread that and take that and apply that. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And in terms of, you know, you, this is a huge subject. You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because you're looking at this, this attack that's coming from without, but there's also this massive attack that's coming from within. It's a twofold attack against the person and work of Jesus Christ. I, I, it's very difficult to sift out the attack on America and the attack on our Christian faith. If you're going to talk to me, I'm a, I'm an adopted son. I've been a citizen for 35 years. I'm a, I'm an adopted son, and I'm a lot more militant than even some of many of my brothers who were born and raised like my own children. Because I have an even greater, sometimes, appreciation for my adoption into this family because I know what it is outside. All right? The greatest danger is that there are many people, Americans today, who have been born and raised, they are so ingrained on the inside that they cannot fully appreciate what the outside is and what the outside is trying to do to bring the outside inside. And it softens everything. Now, as a Christian, which is my focus in the pulpit, by nature, I'm a little bit of a fireball and I have, a, I, I, I have conviction like we all have and I combine that with a, with a genuine passion and love, I have to temper that love in the love of Christ. I've got to ask God to, by his spirit, restrain me and give me a wisdom that I don't have. And he, he does that. When that doesn't happen, it's my problem. God gives that to me liberally. Because I count on the fervent righteous prayer of righteous people. I count on my deep conviction. I count on what I believe to be true concerning the Holy Spirit. But I need to be refined as a man to be able to take that and apply that in my leadership ability, in my rallying ability, in my training, teaching, and preaching ability. Beyond that, we've got to go into specific areas and zones. Yes, sir.
See, you, you're just reinforcing that God is far greater than anything that we can do. You know, and really the purpose, you know, just in these sessions that we've had here today, focusing in on, on Hebrews, just in one small little insufficient zone, what God is speaking to me through his word at this juncture is, man, let's focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the greatest place we need to be. And let's admit to each other that we become so easily distracted. You know, it's, there is so much going on out there. Now, guys, as pastors of churches, you and I are gainfully distracted. There is so much going on in our lives and in our ministries. Pastoral ministry, and Sam's trying to let me know that I have to go to catch a plane. That's Sam. This is a Christian meeting, brother. And Coy is standing over there tapping his foot at me. Um, <clears throat> we are going, and I have to go because I've got to preach tomorrow. And I think some of you have to do the same, <laughs> same thing. But my brothers, let's really pray for each other. And let's really love on one another. Perhaps, perhaps what we could do is make it our business to, to set up a network of just calling different brothers. You know, sometimes, and, and sometimes, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll have someone send a, a, a text to me on a Sunday morning and say, Don, just was praying for you today. Doesn't that mean a lot? Hey? And you know, I, I like Twitter, you know, I'll, I'll, there'll be a, a word that'll come on Twitter that some, you know, there's just, there are so many different ways to be able to do that. And I'm going to tell you something, I guarantee you, every one of us in here, lay people, uh, seminary people, pastors, ministers, retirees, we all need that, man. And we need to be encouraged, and you're doing well, you're doing a great job, guys. And measure your ministry in terms of the faithfulness with which your ministry is measured. Keep your focus on what the Lord Jesus is doing. Don't get caught up in the in all these other things that are going, because I tell you it'll very quickly dishearten you. If, if you can begin to look at everything else out there, it will immediately begin to affect your heart in here. You need to be aware of and understand and connect with everything that's out there. But don't lose your focus in here. Because God saved you by his grace. 
he called you and he appointed you to the ministry to which he's called you. And he is going to empower you and bless you and watch over you. And keep going back to that basic root. And these important things like your family, your relationships, your demeanor, the way you deal with people. Keep checking. Watch your face, guys. That's what I'm saying in a symbolic way. Keep reminding.